Water is fundamentally a really important means by which we're going to establish our long-term development effectively in South Africa. That's a difficult message for people to take, but if you start to think about it philosophically and also practically, it hopefully starts to make sense. Um, water is life. We've taken nature for granted in lots of ways. We think we can actually overcome nature in many ways, but you cannot do that with water. Once water becomes polluted and you can't revive that water any longer, it becomes a non-renewable resource. This is Dr. Kevin Winter. In other words, it's inevitable that if we continue to pollute, we won't have sufficient water on the earth and nature will be unable to turn that water into its hydrological cycle, this big water cycle that energizes the whole of the earth. Kevin is an academic who's constantly looking for tools and resources to manage and improve the quality of our water because water inspires him and he loves a challenge. And if we take our eye off that, I think we're going to find ourselves with unprecedented health issues and ecological collapse, not only from the drugs and pharmaceuticals and foreign objects that find their way into our water bodies, but what we've always known before is the accumulation of heavy metals and of high levels of nutrients that are finding their way into our rivers. Accumulatively, they are doing damage and we have to become more astute at understanding what that risk is. podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment. Please enjoy today's episode, a celebration of all things water and the people working tirelessly to protect it. You're listening to For Water For Life, the podcast that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live in a water-scarce and unequal country called South Africa. I'm Gugule Tumshungu. And I'm Michelle Constant. Dr. Kevin Winter is a lead researcher in the Future Water Institute of the University of Cape Town. And he's at home in the Department of Environmental and Geographical Science. The Institute brings together experts from different disciplines, like economics, humanities, health sciences, and civil engineering, so that they can tackle a problem from a range of viewpoints. We're dealing with huge problems, huge challenges, which are both global and are also local and, and national problems. And we're addressing as many of those as we can in the area of water and sanitation. We want to know how researchers like Kevin go about tackling a challenge like the pollution of our precious water bodies. We 
we're asking new questions, as it were, and the issues that we're involved in drives new questions for us. They're very complex questions, and one discipline cannot solve any one of these questions. And one individual can't solve these questions either. So that collective is really important. Kevin's team works with something called IoT, the Internet of Things. Before we hear all about the fascinating research Kevin's team are involved in, let's understand what IoT is. We live in, in the information age. This is an age in which information is helping us to build our knowledge, build our understanding of circumstances that are often changing around us. And it comes at us in many different forms. Basically, the Internet of Things is the billions of global devices, phones and computers, or water monitoring sensors for that matter, that are connected to the Internet, all collecting and sharing data. We all use the Internet of Things. Sometimes we don't even realize we're using it. When we are looking at a website, for instance, on a model that is based on data that's been collected often in real time, and the weather is a good example of that. So many of us would follow the weather almost daily. We make decisions about what we're going to wear in the day based upon the weather. And it might be lots of other decisions we're making on the weather patterns that are before us. So predicting the weather is an IoT. And what's coming up to us is, in fact, models uh, that have their background in data capture. And that data capture is put before us in a dashboard or a graph or some kind of picture sometimes, which helps us to understand what the weather's doing. That, in effect, is IoT. Since 2014, Kevin and his team have been using IoT to capture data that will help us understand and monitor the changes occurring across South Africa's water bodies. What we've done is to take those same principles of what you will see on the internet and put instruments uh, in our rivers, in our water bodies, in even water tanks, so that we can determine the height of that water, we can determine the quality of that water in more or less real time. And that information is captured by an instrument, first of all, by a sensor, which is a digital sensor, and it sends that data to a logger, which essentially does the capture of that information, puts it into a transmission mode, so it communicates it across the internet, and we're able to read it on the back of our cell phones or onto the internet as you would do uh, any other internet site. So that's simply what it's doing. It's about the capture of that information that really is important and near real time, uh, especially in water, because it flows, it moves, and it changes its quality. But why is this important? From a research perspective, this is a growing area. The world is really focusing a lot of attention on pollutants and the monitoring, management and risk assessment that these pollutants are uh, delivering in our water bodies. So, for instance, we are working in the area of heavy metals that are finding their way into water bodies and precipitating, dropping from that water into the channel, into the body of water, to the wetlands or the rivers, ever that might be.
These metals occur naturally, but also because of industrial pollution. And Kevin's work also includes monitoring the drugs and pharmaceuticals rapidly finding their way into our water systems. We know so little about them. They're very small uh, volumes at this stage or concentrations, but they could have long-term accumulative impacts. And the only way we're going to improve our understanding of risk is to improve our ability to monitor those waters and to use IoT as the warning signs of when those risks reach certain thresholds that require immediate action. They are crises. For me, water represents interesting interplay between a crisis in which we recognize we've got a problem and an ability to adapt in which we say we can make a decision and we need to invest in that decision in order to make a difference. In South Africa, the Department of Water and Sanitation monitors hundreds of data points or water sites across the country by taking monthly samples of water. But unlike IoT systems, this is not real-time data and cannot detect an immediate threat. is really important area that we are working in as well is try to determine the flow of a river. And that's important because the volume that flows down that stream actually also has an impact on the concentration of pollutants that are in that stream. So if you get a high volume of water flowing for some time, you again will see that the pollution levels, the concentration of pollutants in that river are diluted. And again, the Internet of Things comes into play. One of the instruments that we've used to measure the height of the water is an ultrasonic sensor. And essentially what that does is it bounces a sound from the top, and the top in this case could be underneath a bridge. It's a very, very small sensor. It's about the size of a, a coin, a large a 50 cent coin, for instance, that is placed under the bridge with a little logger attached to it. And it bounces a sound every five seconds, in fact, down to the water level. And if we can measure the speed of that sound by the time it comes back up to the receiver, we can measure the height of the water. So a simple analogy, if that is not clear to you, well, it's like being on a tennis court and hitting a ball against the wall. If I hit with that tennis racket at the same speed and then start walking backwards and hit that ball back onto the wall, it's taking longer for that ball to reach the wall and come back at me. But what it's doing, if I had to measure that distance, I would be able to capture where I am standing away from the wall, the distance I'm standing away from the wall. And exactly the same thing applies here. When it rains, the water rises, and the distance between the sensor and the water is smaller. By measuring the height of the water, Kevin can work out the volume of water passing through. So I can work out what's called the wetted perimeter, and I can establish how much water is passing through every few minutes at that particular site. This process gives almost real-time data which can sound alarm bells on an official's phone if water quality is compromised due to a leak or spill or anything that has interfered with the water, raising pollution above tolerated levels. 
that's the only way we're going to deal with, I guess, sometimes deliberate perpetrators of the crime of polluting our rivers, or at least deal with some of the failures that occur very often across our wastewater treatment plants and in industry as well, and in release of water from informal settlements. So this is what monitoring means in an era of IoT. It provides the tools to improve data capture and data flow through real-time detection. The information it provides is increasingly vital as South Africa runs out of hydrological gauges. These gauges help measure water levels. Unfortunately, as budgets and perhaps also interest has started to wane, South Africa has fewer and fewer of these meters to rely on in order to know how much water the country has and how much might be captured. The rate of discharge, the volume that's coming down the river affects pollution. So too, it affects the way we should be managing our water. And a lot of our water, for instance, here in the city of Cape Town, finds its way into canals and just rushes out to sea. Uh, and during our day zero, a lot of people saying, look at all the water that when it does rain, it flows out to sea. We're in a water crisis, and yet we're not capturing that water. The Cape Town water crisis saw a period of three years of severe water shortages due to the prolonged drought in a region that borders the Indian and Atlantic Oceans. Day zero was the day when the city's taps would dry out and citizens would be restricted to collecting a daily quota of water. And of course it's difficult to know how to capture that water because if you don't know what the volume is and what the costs are of trying to manage that volume of water, it's very difficult for authorities to really react in any positive way other than to recognize there's a lot of water. And what are the risks of capturing uh, water at very high volume? Risks being maybe flooding. If you start to flood your wetlands and your floodplains, you may well add to the risks. And you need to know the actual figures to be able to make those kind of decisions. So that's the usefulness of knowing and giving real-time account of what happens when a storm occurs, what kind of volume of water is coming down, and how do you actually capture that volume and do something with it. And the numbers are the important thing here that drives the decision-making. With increasing droughts forecast and increasing demand for water from growing city populations, cities need to be able to make increasingly agile responses. And so IoT, I think, is a really useful way in sounding those alarm bells of understanding how those volumes are change, changing, how that water is being used in households, and to try and track the use of water with either in regions or parts of the city, or even, and better still, in households, so that we understand uh, how that water is being used and how to manage it more effectively. That's the role of IoT. The Future Water Institute has been involved in developing these IoT sensors since 2014. Working with new technology has had its share of challenges.
one of the difficulties in using IoT, particularly in public open spaces, is that the moment we start to put these instruments up in public uh, areas, like next to rivers, for instance, or under bridges, and we do our level best to try and hide them, is that there is a criminality here. And so people find these little things interesting, break them apart, destroy them, sometimes even remove our data. So we have to spend a lot of our time thinking about the design of these instruments and how to hide them. Uh, we do all kinds of things. Just as an example, for instance, is we sometimes hide them in vegetation or wrap vegetation around them. Even in some of our rivers that are really in atrocious condition, we hide plastics and other papers and things around it so that it looks like it's just part of the regular river environment or canal environment. Talk about facing a design challenge. And part of that design problem is trying to get power to a logger. They are power hungry, they require batteries, and they require batteries that need to get recharged. The moment we put up solar panels, it's an instant giveaway. Uh, the secret is up and they can trace where that panel cord goes uh, to the actual logger itself. But the other big challenge is how to turn the data that the sensors collect into usable information. And that's where our younger generation of tech-savvy coders come in. What we've got to try and do is to make this technology, this IoT, really attractive to improve the decision-making and to make it much more part and more central to everyday life, but also to the lives of officials who are reliant, eventually, on alarm bells, which help them to manage these systems and to interpret and to, to react to the information that comes their way. But how do we make IoT attractive? How does crowd science happen? So the first and big point about anything is releasing data. Don't let it sit on your desk or hide under your desk. Try and find ways and outlets to be able to release that data so that it's publicly available. The positive thing that happens when you release data of how much that begins to affect people's engagement with that particular problem and how you'll see perhaps greater buy-in from the private sector and from citizens who are really are caring about this but are often completely in the dark as to what is going on there. But if you hide the data, then we're in trouble and then we don't know what's going on. And then we see the accumulation of pollution and other uh, risks arise. IoT interventions can monitor wastewater treatment plants that often damage water supplies. Wastewater treatment plants have to monitor their water, they have to comply with regulations. So there is monitoring that goes on within a particular site. Sometimes there are incidents and there are plenty of wastewater treatment plants, um, more than 56% I'm told recently that are not compliant. We've seen how our rivers are turning green, our, our downstream ability to be able to use that water, in other words, farmers further downstream. Uh, there are high risks to them using that water. They can no longer irrigate safely. They are wetlands that are collapsing because of the pollution that is in those in that water. Increasingly, we're not able to use our recreational lakes and flares, for instance, for swimming, canoeing, sailing, whatever it might be. We're destroying the environment. So what if every household had an IoT water meter to manage its water use? 
I could walk into my maybe kitchen and see a digital meter that tells me how that water is running in my household or how much I've used rather than maybe running out to an analog meter that sits somewhere in my yard or waiting for an account to come from the city of Cape Town and I have no idea what that water means. I, I'm paying amount every month for that water but I don't know how to manage that water effectively. That's IoT uh, for you because the meter is digital, digital sensor, and the logger sends that information out to uh, different parties uh, who are in agreement as to how that data might be used and used in managing the system better. Another person who believes design has an important role to play in solving our water issues is Shakira Jassad, designer and founder of Studio Sway. Cape Town's drought inspired her to look into the potential of the water that appears to be hidden from our sight. The role of design is really important because um, it allows you to explore and I think as water needs space, we also need the space to explore before rushing into the next problem. I think we should really take the moment to understand what is happening around us because we are not the creators of the world. I think we are, have to see ourselves as collaborators with other things around us to create the world. And so we don't have all the power. Shakira observed how nature was behaving, its processes and how she might mimic this. The Namib desert beetle in particular was really fascinating uh, for me through the research that I made with aquatecture because it's a self-sustaining organism. So this desert beetle is living in the desert and he's really designed to take care of his own water needs. And I found that so beautiful because he's this little creature, he or she, and, and just walking around the desert and there is no water, I mean, nothing around. And, and at the end of the day, when temperatures are changing and things are getting cooler, this beetle finds the fog and lifts, uh, lifts his back up to the fog and he has these bumps on his back and the fog uh, moves through these bumps and gets cooler. So there's a temperature decrease. And as it gets cooled down, water vapor turns to water literally on his back and the drops then fall over his legs into his mouth and he literally drinks in that way. And I thought this was so beautiful and so amazing that he's really a decentralized kind of water system within the desert. And so if our buildings could start to behave in that way, taking care of their own water need and as much as each building needed, I think we would already get somewhere. Aquatecture is the design Shakira visioned, a panel that harvests rainwater and when integrated with technology, it can harvest moisture from the atmosphere. And so with aquatecture, I really wanted that. I wanted to decentralize the water coming into a building and also being used within a building, keep it really central to that building's needs and how it takes care of its own needs is through these panels.
like Shakira's, Kevin's interest in water runs far deeper than just science. It's driven by his love for nature. There's nothing better than being in a river system that is unpolluted. Go and stand next to it and, and you'll probably get the same excitement that I've had, uh, even as a child, of standing next to a flowing river um, and just being energized by the flow of water, by putting your hands in that water and just letting it flow through your fingers. And stop thinking about your own agenda and the things that you want to do. Stop for a moment and recognize the importance of that water flowing on that surface. Uh, it's an incredible cycle. It's rainfall that's gone through the system. It's passing back through the system through evaporation comes back onto the mountain, back into the catchments, back into the river. It's an incredible cycle. In South Africa's Western Cape, the Future Water Institute is using nature-based processes and IoT tech to address a really big challenge on a site called the Water Hub in Franschhoek. Franschhoek is a small town with centuries-old vineyards and Cape Dutch architecture. The runoff that comes from its informal settlements is the challenge here. And by runoff, we mean excess water that runs off the land's surface. And these informal settlements are releasing surface water because they're underserviced. Water's coming in and the sanitation systems generally are dysfunctional, particularly in the settlement just downstream of where our research site is situated. And in using IoT there, what we've done is measured the extent of the concentrations of pollution, for instance, during a rainfall event. We've taken real-time collection of that data, of that information, and we're able to show what happens, particularly after a series of 10 days of fairly dry, warm weather, and suddenly a shower occurs, a rain shower that is, it brings down pollutants uh, down in the river. It's peak pollution at that stage. In other words, it's what we sometimes call the first flush. And that first flush, I wouldn't say is necessarily lethal, but certainly I don't want to scare people in it, but that's when most of the contaminant finds its way into the river. And we've got to be aware of that, and we've got to find ways to actually buffer that, to capture that pollution before it comes down. But how can that be done? So on our research site, we use very large biofilters, which are essentially nature-based processes in dealing with poor water quality. We clean water that's between uh, anything between 50 and 100,000 litres of water every five to seven days. And we've got that water quality to a position where it was at one stage completely unacceptable. Uh, you couldn't use that water for anything other than to flush it down the streams and hope that nature would then take over and dilute that water and make it less, uh, or less risky for anyone further downstream. So what happens to it once it has been cleaned? But we clean that water and we reuse it in various ways. We support a garden in a, a food security centre. We're growing vegetables and the vegetables are, are grown at an acceptable health um, uh, level. In other words, the irrigation water is acceptable for uh, irrigation purposes. But it also is water that supports uh, fish population in fish breeding. And we use I IoT in a number of ways on the site. One is both to measure the height of the water so we know what volume of water is flowing 
flowing through these large biofilters. And then also we've got sensors on the soil so that we know just how much to irrigate the soil. So it'll give us a real-time measure of moisture in the soil. And then we've got gauges that we use in the fish breeding tanks uh, in order to determine temperature and pH and dissolved oxygen, uh, which are critical to understanding uh, the environment in which fish uh, can breed. So there's practical examples, and we're learning how to apply that in order to manage uh, in the, the water quality and also in supporting the fish population, freshwater fish. Not quite fish, but possibly mermaids with big blue hearts, Zandilen Lovu and Hanli Prince Lu have dedicated their lives to free diving our beautiful coastlines, getting to know the oceans under the surface. You have this one bit of breath that is your currency to life and you hold it out to the ocean and you let her open your eyes and show her her magic and all in this one bit of breath and it feels like eternity. All you need to do is equalize, which is something that I realized the other time we were diving and you hear nothing, like just for the first little bit. And then once you equalize, it's like this little secret language. And before you know it, you can hear everything, you know, the coral, the fish, the whales, just everything. There's a place where you explode. The ocean itself, when you dive down, is not a quiet place. It is a beautifully loud place. In our next episode, Zandila and Hanli will be sharing their mesmerizing underwater journeys, diving deep into the mysteries of our blue planet, Planet Ocean. I loved chatting to them. I'm Michelle Constant. And I'm Gugule Tumshungo. Thank you for listening. All our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo. For water, for life. Find us on social media at For Water For Life and share your water stories using the hashtag Listen to the Water. Because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed this episode of For Water For Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content. <laughs> <laughs>